0: Let us pray. Gracious God, we have heard so many voices this week. So many opinions, so many thoughts. Politically, in our own homes, in our businesses, in our daily life, from our children, our grandchildren, we hear voices. And they speak many different messages. And yet, by your grace, may we hear your word pierce through all the words, words of grace and truth, judgment and forgiveness. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the gospel lesson today uh, is from Matthew, and it's very familiar words. It's the words we always say at the communion table. We call them the words of institution, instituting new meaning at the Passover meal. And to refresh your memory, or if you're new to, uh, to the faith, Passover is an ancient memorial meal that the Jews celebrate the release of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And it's a bizarre kind of meal because the Lord said, take the blood of the lamb, put it over your doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over you. But, but the painful part of that story is the firstborn children of Egypt were killed in, in leaving um, Egypt. So there's a lot of theology there to be unpacked, isn't there, about who God is, who we are. But this Passover meal stayed with the Jews through all these years, and, and they it's their Christmas, in essence. Um, I know there's Hanukkah, but it's a big deal, this Passover meal. And in Jesus' day, of course, they're celebrating this and remembering hundreds of years back. And And many of the Jews, if not all the Jews, would migrate to Jerusalem, the holy city, for this celebration of Passover. So the city became somewhat of a... You know, of a circus. I mean, it was just packed with people staying everywhere they could uh, to celebrate this Passover meal. The Romans sent in uh, extra armies just to make sure everybody stayed uh, tame and controlled. Passover in Jerusalem, big deal. So on the night uh, of, of his arrest, we always say from the table, on the night of his arrest, uh, it's very tense. Jesus has been in ministry three years. He's been traveling uh, back and forth to Jerusalem. This would be his, his third Passover as, uh, as one who was in ministry. And things were getting heated up. And so he comes to this table in what we know to be, or we call, the upper room, where his disciples had gathered as good, faithful Jewish people to celebrate Passover. Passover. When he takes the elements from that table and breaks them open and holds them forth, he basically gives them a totally different or new meaning, which was extremely radical. It would be like somebody coming to our table and saying, okay, no longer is this the body of Christ. This is something else. And we would say, what? So when he sat down at Passover meal and took the unleavened bread and said, this is now not the bread of affliction from slavery, but this is my body and it's broken for you. You can imagine the disciples were like, what's he talking about? And when he took the cup of salvation, which was wine for Elijah sitting on the end of the table with hopes that the prophet would come back. And that he would bring in and usher in the the kingdom of God. And Jesus took Elijah's cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. You can imagine they all went, what? These were radical, radical, radical words. And they're not radical to us because we've become numb to what Jesus was saying. Listen to these words in the context of that sort of disturbance. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. The word of the Lord. Those are powerful, life changing words poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And at the time we printed the bulletins, the world population was 7,369,252,376 people. And it's growing as we speak. So, who are all those people? Well, they're wonderfully diverse. They speak a multitude of languages, and they are of various colors. So, it tells us one thing God is not boring. And apparently God didn't want to look at the same kind of people and listen to the same kind of language all the time. So we are diverse. Regardless of what nation they are in or what social class they belong to, most, a lot of these people bear children. They recreate. And this apparently is God's idea. And some of them get to be grandparents, which is what we all live for. They have hopes and dreams just like you do. They come to God in a variety of faiths and religions. They are all sinful. All seven billion of them are sinful. Every single one of them and yet they are everyone created in the very image of God it is an oxymoron they are complex in their physical bodies they have a mind and hearts that beat and blood that flows and fingers that move they're very complex and they're complex in their minds, in the way they think and put things together and move about in the world. And they are, cre- they are uh, complex in their spirit or their souls. They create incredible foods and music and dance and art. And if you've traveled around the world, you know what I'm talking about. It's amazing how different... We all are and how we express ourselves in the arts. Every one of those 7 billion people struggle. At some point in their life, they all struggle. They all get sick. All of them. No one immune from sickness and illness. They experience death and they grieve and we have that in common. We all lose people we love and we grieve. Those seven billion people celebrate in all kinds of different ways. In Congo, they jump up and down to the sounds of drums. Today, we'll have the Super Bowl. And some will celebrate when it's over and some will not. They laugh, as you just did. They cry, as you have done. They work, some of them very, very hard. They play. They sleep and eat. We have that in common. Some of them get lost in life. And others of them may even be evil. Most of them, however, are very good people. All 7,369,252,376 of them matter. Would there be any of them that don't matter? And if so, who gets to decide that? They are all children of God. And if I told you one of your children didn't matter, how would you feel about that? They all matter. So, how did we get so torn and separated? And the sad thing is, this isn't new. Our history records our discrimination, it records our prejudice, our wars, our quest for power our neglect, or at least our slow response to those who need basic security in life, food, shelter, employment, health care, and hope. They all want hope for their future and for the future of their children. We know all too well what divides us, especially in this nation, and if we ever Forget that, we can simply turn on the TV and watch 24-7 news. We are divided by nation and we are divided by race. We are divided by gender and by social class. We are divided by neighborhoods in this very city and by the schools we attend. We are divided by political parties, and we are divided by religion. We are divided by conservatives, moderates, and liberals who take stances on social issues of immigration, abortion, sexuality, the economy, and foreign affairs, to mention only a few. The Richmond Forum recently hosted two award-winning American presidential historians, John Meacham and Doris Kearns Goodwin. The moderator was Steve Inskeep of NPR, and it was shown on television. Many of you may have been there. We were. Part of the discussion that evening was, was on the things that are currently dividing us as a nation, of course. And someone during the Q&A asked, is there anything that unites us? Is there anything that brings us together? And John Meacham said something that could have been said in any church, mosque, or synagogue anywhere in the world. What he said could have been said in any house of government or any school. It could even be said... At the time of the prayer today during the Super Bowl, this could be said, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it goes along this line. It's the things we love that unite us, and we love too few things. It's the things that we love that unite us, and we love too few things. Jesus said to love God when they came to him and said, of all the commandments, and there were over 600 of them in the Old Testament, so they were trying to trap him, and they said, of all the laws that we have, everything we have to keep up with, could you tell us what is the most important? And Jesus said, well, that would be to love God. And to love God is to love everything God created and to love the creativity of God and to respect what God has created. I mean, he didn't say all that, but that's packed in those words. To love God with your body, your mind, your soul, and your strength, meaning there's no part of your life that doesn't love God. And then he said, I'll give you a second, though you didn't ask for it, that is like unto it. Tied to it, in other words. And that is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. For the Bible says, you cannot love God and hate your neighbor. You cannot love God and hate one of God's children. Not one of them. For to love God is to love who God created. He tied those together for us beautifully. And the Jews and the Muslims have those same two laws in their Bibles. You know that, of course. So the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims share these two laws. To love God and to love neighbor as self. And as simplistic as that sounds, we've seen what the world looks like when those laws are not kept. It's Holocaust. It's a world in which none of us want to live. A painful, violent, angry, self-centered, disrespectful, evil world void of the love of God and neighbor. Do you want to live in that world? I don't. Would you want your grandchildren to live in that world? No. So what if we, just we, were to love those 7,369,252,376 children of God in the world? all of them would we speak differently to each other would we speak with more respect and honor and dignity would we would we legislate with more sensitivity to the common good and not our own good and would we talk less, which would be refreshing, and learn a little bit more by listening to each other? Here's the question. Would we live with a greater sense of civility? Christ went so far as to say, I'm not just talking about Valentine's Day love He didn't really say that, but you know what I mean? He said, I'm talking about the kind of love that loves even your enemy. It's one thing to disagree with each other, and we all do. Right now, we all do. But it's another thing to demonize the other person. We have options as Christians. I can't speak for the others, but I can speak for us. We have options. There's excuse me, there's one more seat at this table. Along with those seven billion people who were invited to the table of God's love and grace. There's one more seat. For Jesus said he would one day join us there to drink the wine of forgiveness and reconciliation in our father's kingdom. That kingdom does not belong to the United States. Nor does it belong to Great Britain or to Iran or to Iraq or to Africa. Jesus is talking about a kingdom that belongs to God. Where there's only one king and one law, a kingdom that has different priorities, rules, power, and priorities, and purpose. It's a world in which all 7,369,252,376 people and growing as we speak, they all matter in that kingdom. In that kingdom. But you don't have to wait to die to get into that kingdom. Because Christ did that. And rose from the dead so that you can begin to live in it here and now. And that will be your choice. And my choice. This table. A table of sacrifice and grace. A table of love and unity. A table where all of God's children belong. This table invites you into that kingdom.